Well, for the last several weeks on Sunday nights, we've been looking at the life of Moses, but really the life of Moses, the story of the life of Moses really begins long before Moses. It begins with God's call to Abraham and God calls Abraham and he makes three promises to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to give you this land that you are in. You're a stranger here now, but one of these days, this is going to be your land. Then he says, I am going to make you into a great nation. And then he says, all the peoples on earth are going to be blessed through you. It's taken a little while for all of this to happen. In fact, whether Abraham knew it in the beginning, God kind of told him, yeah, When I said that this land was going to be yours, I didn't necessarily mean you specifically. It's going to be your descendants' land. And then you remember that God said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have descendants as many as the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. And and Abraham and Sarah have no kids. And they're beginning to wonder, what if we're going to become a great nation, we got to get a move on. And they take their own hand and they do the little Hagar thing and Ishmael is born. And God says, no, I wasn't talking about Ishmael. And then when it was impossible, Abraham at 100, Sarah at 90, Isaac is born. And then throughout this time, God repeats these promises to Isaac, to Jacob, then to Joseph. And we find Joseph down in Egypt and, and eventually he gets his whole family down there. And so there's 70, 75 people in Egypt. And we're still waiting for God to make good on any of the three promises. Because we're now into the fourth generation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And none of the promises have been fulfilled. They don't have possession of the land. They're not a great nation. And this whole, all the peoples on the earth are going to be blessed. Who even knew what that meant? Fast forward now, 430 years. And now Israel has turned into a nation between one to two million, depending on who you talk about. You know, really, is there a difference between one or two million? Well, I give us dollars, maybe it is. But, you know, one to two million. From 70 Let's just cut the difference. A million and a half. Why don't we do that? From 70 to a million and a half. Well, one of the promises has been fulfilled, hasn't it? He has made them into a great nation. Well, not really. Numerically, they are a great nation. But on the grand social scope of the world... They are a nothing, nobody people. In fact, they're enslaved to the Egyptians when we meet them at the beginning of Exodus. Yeah, they're great in number, but they are nothing like Egypt. They are nothing like, you know, all these other countries that are out there at this time. And along comes Moses. Moses is born, spends his first 40 years as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, raised in royalty, raised by the Egyptians, although he never forgot that he was Hebrew. The next 40 years he spends as a shepherd out in Midian, 
working for his father-in-law, keeping his sheep, tending the flocks. And then he gets a call from God at the burning bush. And God says, I want you to go to Egypt and I want you to confront Pharaoh and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses is all excited about that, isn't he? Whew, he can't hardly wait. Sign me up. Uh, he makes all these excuses. Not me, you know, this and that and everything. He don't want to do it. God says, do it. And he goes and confronts Pharaoh along with Aaron. And we have those 10 plagues that we talked about. And I think after reading it again and again, I'm convinced that, that the time period between the first plague and the last plague was a lot longer than we normally think about. You know, we think about, well, the first plague was day one, second plague was day two, third plague was day three, and by 10 days, the plagues were over. No, I don't think it happened that way. It could have been months or years between the first and last plague. And then we had that last plague, the death of the firstborn. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But in chapter 12 and verse 31, it says that during the night, this is while the death of the firstborn is happening, During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said. And go and also, I like this part, also bless me. Pharaoh, who had been at battle with Moses and Aaron, who had been at battle with God this whole time, who would, who would sleep an extra night with the frogs, you know, and all of that. And finally he says, okay, you people get out of here. I'm sick of you. Oh, by the way, could you give me a little blessing before you leave? Maybe pray that your God would bless me before you get out of town. Because I'm beginning to think that maybe there's something to this God of yours. Because he certainly humiliated my gods. And then in chapter 12 and verse 40, we kind of get a little summary. It says, now the length of the time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years to the very day, all the divisions of the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. And this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations that are to come. Now that's one of those little holiday kind of memorial things we don't ever think about. And I don't know that it is ever even brought up again in the Bible. But not only do we have the Passover, but then we also have this little memorial because God kept vigil over them as they were leaving Egypt. He said, you ought to remember that for the generations that are to come. Finally, God has answered their prayers. Finally, God is making good on his promises. But have you ever noticed in life that just when you think you've got God figured out, he throws a curveball? Just when you think, okay, God, I understand what you want for my life. I understand the direction you want. I understand where you want me to go. I understand what you want me to do. And all of a sudden, everything goes sideways. And we think, what are you doing, God? This isn't what we thought. This isn't what I had anticipated. Well, that's kind of what happens here with the Israelites. They were finally free. But were they really? The end of an era often leads to beginning to the beginning of another. They were, they were free from Egypt. But they still were not a great nation yet. 
They still had some learning to do. They still had some things that they that got. got remember that little song we used to sing in little kids' class. God's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. The sun and the moon and the stars. I don't know how it goes, but God's still working on me. I know that part. Okay. Yeah. Well, God's got some work to do on Israel. They're not ready for what they think they're ready for. And so he has some plans. But they had a long way to go before they could be where God needed them to be. And the first thing we see that they needed to learn is they needed to learn to follow God. Well, that makes sense. Look at chapter 13 and beginning in verse 17. Somewhere there. Yeah. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said... If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward out toward the sea. And the Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Now Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear on an oath. And he said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham. On the edge of the desert. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. I think it's interesting that it says that God did not take them on the most direct route. Now I should have had a map and I don't. But Egypt... Is Let me see how I work this out so that you're looking at it the way it ought to be. Well, forget it. It doesn't matter. You don't know. I don't know. So anyway, Egypt is here. And so this is the way I'm looking at it. So I need to go the opposite way, right? Okay. Well, anyway, Egypt's here. Canaan's over here. And this is the Mediterranean Sea. You see that? See the Mediterranean Sea? And the closest way to get to Canaan from Egypt is to just go up the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. And you'd be in Egypt. I mean, in Canaan. But it says God didn't take him that way. Even though it was the shortest way, God didn't take him that way. Why not? Because that's the way of the Philistines. That is the land of the Philistines. Now, this is really the first we've ever heard of the Philistines. But we're going to know some things about the Philistines later on, right? They were a warring people. They were built for war. They had the Goliaths and all the, you know, these were a people who lived for war. That's all they did was wage war against other people around Canaan. And God said, the Israelites are not ready yet to take on the Philistines. Now, you kind of get the idea, because it said, you know, that the Israelites left Egypt armed for war. You kind of got the idea that I bet if you'd have asked the Israelites, they'd say, yeah, we're ready. We'll take them on. They've been slaves for 430 years. What did they know about fighting wars? What did they know about doing those kinds of things? So God said, I am not going to take them the most direct way. We're going to come back south a little bit and then eventually we're going to get to the Red Sea and then we're going to go to Mount Sinai. We got some things to do before we start battle. The Israelites may have thought they were ready, but God knew better. Sometimes in life, we have to trust God 
to lead us. Even though it seems like it's a long way or a rougher way than we wanted. He may be preparing us for what is ahead. You know, the Israelites were not ready yet. God had some preparing. God was still working on them. We also see God showing his leadership, I think, by the bringing of Joseph's bones with him. Just one of those things in my head, probably not yours. But I just wonder where Joseph's bones had been for 430 years. Yeah. I mean, were they in a coffin? Were they in a sarcophagus? Was it, you know, like a, like an Egyptian, you know, mummified and, and all of that? I don't know. But they kept them around for 430 years. Kept Joseph's bones. You remember when Jacob died, they took Jacob back and buried him. Joseph said, no, you keep me here. But when you go, when God delivers you. And he takes you to the promised land. Then you take my bones. And you take me back and you bury me with daddy and grandpa and great grandpa and great great grandpa. So we can all be together. And so as they're leaving Egypt, they're carrying with them the bones of Joseph. And what a reminder of the faithfulness of God that would have been. Yeah, we waited 430 years, but God has delivered us. We're on our way to the promised land and we're taking our great patriarch Joseph back with us. We're going to be able to fulfill the promise that our great, 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 great grandfathers made to Joseph 430 years ago. We're getting to do that and take his bones back home to Canaan. Sometimes we need reminders of what God has done for us. Whether it's the Lord's Supper or something personal in our lives. Any of you have, you know, something in your life? Maybe it's a, a, it's a, a, a trinket or maybe it's a, a picture. Maybe it's a, a, maybe it's just a memory. But something that sticks out that reminds you of something that God has done for you. And that's what the bones of Joseph, I think, were to the children of Israel as they left. And God led them 24 hours, seven days a week. They were never alone. A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Did you notice one of the reasons it said it was a pillar of fire at night? It wasn't just to lead them. It was to give them light. I like that. Can you imagine being out in the desert? Now we're talking, you don't have any cell phones with your flashlights on them. You don't have any, you know, no, no light out there. In the desert, there are scorpions in the desert. There are lions and tigers and bears, oh my, out in the desert. Snakes in the oh now you just freak me out, Chuck. I could have gone all day without the snake. All this out in the desert and traveling at night or even camping at night, but then there's this great big huge pillar of fire lighting the whole way. Oh, God is leading them. He's leading them to where he wants them to go. Now, we don't have the same visual guide. You know, have you ever, you, you know, 
you wanted to get out of something and you wanted to, and then all of a sudden, once you were free from that, all of a sudden it's freaky. You know, maybe it was young and you wanted to leave home. You were tired of mom and dad. You want to get out. And all of a sudden you get out and you realize, oh, I'm on my own. I've mentioned this before when we had Brittany. My mother-in-law came and stayed, you know, a week or whatever it was, you know. And I love my mother-in-law, but, you know, at some point in time, it's time for the mother-in-law to go home. So she went home and we were up at Dwayne and Judy's house and we, we had, we had Brittany. It was a, it was our first night alone. We stayed till two o'clock in the morning because we were afraid to go home. Oh, well, we don't know what to do with this thing. <laughs> well, I don't know. Kind of weird. The Israelites wanted to be free, but don't you know what's probably scary too? As they're leaving Egypt, they're going out in the desert. They don't know where they're going. I kind of know where they're going, but they don't know what's going on. God doesn't take them what would have been, you know, God did not use GPS because GPS would have taken them right through Philistine country. No, takes them the roundabout way, but he is leading them and he is protecting them. We don't have the same visual guidance today. Wouldn't, Wouldn't that be nice? Ever wonder, I wonder what God wants me to do. I wonder where me, wouldn't it be nice if there was just a pillar of fire that just led us? So we'd know. He doesn't quite work that way. But he's given us his word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. He still is leading us as well. Secondly, they had to learn to trust God. So they're out of Egypt. God is leading them. Everything seems to be going well off to a great start. But then something changed. Chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near that place. I can't pronounce it. Uh, between Migdal and the sea. And there they, they are there to, they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite that other place I can't pronounce. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So there, you know, the Egyptians apparently are just as confused maybe as the Israelites are. Why is, why are they, why didn't they go straight up through the Philistine country? Why are they wandering around here? Those people don't know where they're going. They're lost. God said he did that for a reason. Beginning in verse 10, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. 
I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after him and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army to the chariots and his horsemen and all those kinds of things. And then we know what happens. Moses does just what God said. He outstretches his hands and the Red Sea is walled up on either side. And it is completely dry ground. And the Israelites march through. Now, let me back up because I didn't want to read the whole thing. It was a little long. But one of the things that happened is when it was time for the Israelites to get ready to go through the cloud and the pillar of fire that had been in front of the Israelites leading them flew over their heads. Well, I don't know if that's how it happened. But anyway, went behind them to separate them from the Egyptians. The cloud covered the Egyptians so they were in darkness. And then when daylight came, the pillar of fire was there to protect them. Until it was time and the Israelites had gotten all the way across the sea. One to two million people. You see those pictures, even that one up there. You see the pictures of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, you know, and Moses is there and there's a few people behind him. A million to two million people. Don't you imagine? I mean, I'm just kind of figuring it out. But my guess is that by the time Moses and the first group or whoever was in the first group got to the other side, some of them hadn't even started to cross yet. That's how long that line had to have been. Unless God walled it up so wide. And he could have done that if he wanted to, right? If he'd have walled it up so wide that they were just all able to go through together. I don't know. But I would, that would, I would love to have been there. I would love to have seen, and I've seen the Ten Commandments, and I've seen, you know, and all that. It's just pretty good, you know, cinematography right there and all that. I, I, I bet it can't touch the real thing. I bet Hollywood can't even come close to what it was really like. As that water is just being walled up. That takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? To walk through there. That takes some faith. We, we criticize the Israelites a lot. And for good reason. And we're going to criticize them. Some more as we go through here. But that takes a lot of faith. To walk through. And have that sea walled up. On both sides. But I think the, one of the most amazing things is. Is it says that they walked through on. Dry ground not muddy ground not sloshy ground they walked through on dry ground I was it like an aquarium as they walked through you think they could see the fish and you know sharks whatever else you know there in the in the sea as they as they walked through you think some of the parents had to drag their kids come on come on quit touching the water Quit touching the fish. Let's get on a cross. But it had to have been an extraordinary sight. And then is there a cross? Or getting a cross? Some of them may have been only halfway across. The cloud and the pillar of fire lift. And here comes the sounds of the chariots and the horses of the Egyptians. 
And the Israelites are hurrying to get across. And God tells Moses, stretch out your hand again, your staff again. And the water began to collapse over the Egyptians, drowning the entire Egyptian army. That was a sight too. Not a positive sight. All that human death and destruction but comes from God. I think I probably told you this, but there's a story. I'm sure it's not true. It's one of those preacher stories. His little boy was in class and, and his, uh, you know, Sunday school teacher was, was teaching this. And for some reason, the Sunday school teacher just didn't really believe in the whole walking across the Red Sea thing, you know. And, and, and so she was kind of explaining that, well, you know, where they walked across really wasn't the Red Sea. It was this kind of shallow wasteland kind of part. And, and they were able to walk through. And the boy says, wow, that really is a miracle. And the teacher said, what do you mean? That God could drown all them Egyptians in two feet of water. (laughs) See, he knew there was a miracle there somewhere. He knew there was a miracle. So God does that. You talk about being between a rock and a hard place. Everything was going fine and all of a sudden, there's the sea. And all of a sudden... There's the Egyptian army. And they begin to do what they will always do. They went into their default mode, blaming and complaining. Were there no graves in Egypt that we had to die out here in the desert? We told you to leave us alone. And they had, remember, when Moses first confronts Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, okay, you people got too much time on your hands, so you're going to make the bricks without the straw. And they said to Moses, what are you doing to us? You're killing us here. We told you to leave us alone. And now look where we are. We were, and this is going to be their theme. We were better off in Egypt. We were better off slaves. You know, we have a world that has that mentality. I don't want to hear what you had to say. I don't want to hear what God can do for me. I don't want to, I am better off being a slave of sin and Satan and my own evil desires. I'm better off than having to live like a Christian. Than having to do this or having to do that. I'm better off. And we see that attitude from the Israelites. Moses tries to reassure them. God asks why he's crying out. God says, reach out your hand. Reach out your staff. And I think what God was trying to get Moses to understand, he had the power. It was right there. All the time. And sometimes I wonder if we complain and gripe and God, and he's like, you got the power. It's right there. We love that verse in Ephesians 3, don't we? Now to him... Who is able to do abundantly, exceedingly above all that we can ask or imagine. We love that verse. Do we believe it? Do we really believe it? Do we let God work in our lives? Do we try to to seek his power in our lives? I wrote a little 
bulletin article several years. I may have even mentioned this here, but that's beside the point. But the story goes about the little boy that's out in the sandbox. And he's playing with his little Tonka truck, you know. And all of a sudden, he hits his rock. There's this rock in the middle of his sandbox. And his dad's inside watching what's going on. And so the little boy is doing everything he can. He's trying to get that rock out. And he ends up skinning his knuckles. And he ends up, you know, and there's no way. And he just can't get the rock out. And he's just frustrated. And he just sits there in the sandbox. And he's just bawling. And the daddy comes out and says, what's wrong? I can't get this rock out of this sandbox. I've been trying everything. I've done it. I can't get. And the daddy said, well, you haven't tried everything. Yes, I have. I've tried everything. And dad says, son, you didn't ask me. And he digs the rock out for his son. And I wonder how many times in our own lives we're trying to dig the rocks out by ourselves without seeking God's help. So they had to learn to trust God. And lastly, they had to learn to praise God. After the defeat... Oh, well, let's, yeah, well, we're already, yeah, go ahead, Jansen. But uh, they saw, they saw them, you know, they walked through on the dry ground. They saw the Egyptians drowned. And then it says, I love this. The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in his servant Moses. Wow. Doesn't that sound so encouraging? Doesn't that sound great? And then we move on to chapter 15 and we have Moses, the Israelites, and then Miriam. We have them singing praises to God. I don't know how long this took, but very quickly they made up a hymn about this whole thing that had happened. And they extol God's greatness and his deliverance of them from Egypt. And how that his power and might had overcome the Egyptians. And how he was just the most wonderful, praiseworthy God. But you see, the Israelites are kind of a fickle people. They're able to do that in the shadow of a great victory. In the shadow of seeing God do something great for them. We're going to wander with these folks for 40 years, right? That doesn't mean 40 years worth of sermons, but who knows? (laughs) We're going to want, and we know. That at the least sign of trouble, they turn their backs on God. And they're complaining and moaning. It's easy to praise God in the good times, isn't it? But we ought to praise God even in the bad times. Even in the dark times. Even in the rough times. We ought to still praise God. But this is a very immature group of people. And one of the signs of immaturity is only being able to praise God when things are good. Sign of maturity is being able to praise God even when things aren't going our way. And that's what I love about David. We've talked about this in the Psalms. David didn't have everything always going his way. David went ups and downs and trials and tribulations... There were some of those psalms where he's just shaking his fist at God. But even in those most negative psalms, 
they almost all start out praising God. God is good. Now, God, why are you doing this to me? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Why is this happening to me? But God, you are good. And hopefully, we will learn that lesson in our lives as well. All is well. The Israelites have learned to follow God. They've learned to trust God. They've learned to praise God. They've made it through that difficult time. So from now on, it's going to be easy street and all roses, right? If your Bible is kind of like mine, you go to chapter 16, well, actually the end of chapter 15, and then chapter 16, and we're already in trouble again, griping and complaining. I find it easy to kind of make fun of the Israelites a little bit. To kind of judge them and look down on them. How could they turn their backs on God and gripe and complain after all that God had done for them? They had just seen God part the Red Sea, let them through on dry ground, drown the Egyptians, and they're going to be complaining because they don't have any water. Won't they ever learn? 40 years of this, won't they ever learn? But how many times are we no no different? God gives and gives and we see the glory and the beauty and the power of God. And the littlest thing goes wrong in our life and we start griping and complaining and questioning and wondering. Over in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that what happened in the past... Happened as a warning for us. That we don't fall into the same trap. If you're here this evening in some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903 903- Six four five two eight nine six. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at eight one eight West W M Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas seven five six three eight. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at nine thirty a.m. for Bible class and ten thirty a.m. for worship service. Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.